0: This week on Dig Me Out.
1: Let me d- let me just double check because I don't want to you know speak out of my butt here. Um, but I'm pretty sure.
0: Tim and Jay review Hi-Fi Sci-Fi by Dramarama.
1: Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minici, and joining me, as always, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, it is our first episode of Season 5, number 208 overall. The 2015 season is kicking off with a requested review. Requested,
0: requested review.
1: Jay, are you excited for our new year?
0: i am i am
1: lots of stuff that's going to be yeah. happening this year
0: we're shaking it up so you'll still get all the the cool reviews mm-hmm. discoveries but uh there'll be some new things to talk about we'll be able to i think dig into the 90s a little deeper maybe pick up some conversations that we've had tangentially during reviews and yep continue those
1: yeah if you haven't had a chance to check out our year uh in review episode for 2014 the last episode that came out we discuss uh what we're going to be doing what our plans are for 2014 lots of new things going on uh interviews roundtables new guests topics theme months all sorts of stuff so be sure to check that out this week one of our veteran listeners one of our old guard uh he, uh, he has a suggested album for us to uh, listen to, and it's Rama or Dramarama, depending on where you're from in the States. And their 1993 album, Hi-Fi Sci-Fi.
0: Who, who's Who requested it?
1: Mr. Gavin Reed from All right. Australia. I believe this is his 407th request, which um, I'm not sure how that works out because we've only had 208 episodes, but... He's made does a lot of requests.
0: Give, he doesn't give us American bands often, does he? I'm
1: no, sure not really. He
0: gives us uh,
1: This is like the second one.
0: Something with a more international flair.
1: Yeah, usually it's, uh, you know, they're Australian bands, which we appreciate. We've really gotten to uh, explore the variety of Australian bands that we didn't know about from the 90s. And it's uh, it's been an education over the last couple of years. And I'm sure we're going to get to some more this year. We might even do an entire month on <laughs> Australia Because you know what 1995 is, Jay? It's the year of Silverchair.
0: Yeah. Yeah, prepping for our next uh, roundtable. I saw that. That'll be fun to revisit quickly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Very quickly.
1: Very quickly. Uh, But there are a ton of other really interesting bands uh, from that time period. And I'm sure we're going to get to that. But this week, we are reviewing not an Australian band, but a U.S. band, Rama. They're actually from Jersey, and then they ended up in LA after that. Jay, were you familiar with the band Dramarama?
0: Uh, I was familiar with the name and the the uh, what's the song? Anything? Anything? Is that yes. It?
1: From um, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street Four. Street is that Tracers? what it's from? Well, that's where it got some publicity from that movie, but it, it was released before that.
0: It's one of those songs I don't know. I don't know where I know it from, but I just know it, and uh, I vaguely knew you know the band name associated with that i have no idea where i heard the song it's instantly recognizable
1: Yeah, I, I remembered the song when I, I didn't remember it from the title, but then when I went back and listened to the song, I was like, oh God, yeah, I totally remember this song. But I was completely wrong on what the band was. I thought that they, this was like a synth pop, Duran Duran meets, you know, emotion yeah. like yeah. kind of band or something. I had no idea that they are not that.
0: Uh, yeah, I more would have associated them with like a mid 80s something like you just described or even like uh i don't know alternative kind of gothy early cult suzy and the banshees what do you call that gothy kind of
1: it's goth thing. or
0: that's if i had to describe. Yeah, I, guess, it's the best. If I had to guess what this band was before hearing this record or exploring them any further that's what i would assume they were close to beggar's banquet or something
1: right well let's talk about uh since we're both a bit off on the the history of this band and what they sound like. Let's actually do some history of the band.
0: History of the band.
1: So Dramarama was formed in uh, New Jersey in 1982 by John Eastdale, who's a singer, and Chris Carter, the original bass player, who at one point left the band. And actually, there's been 14 different members who have played in... Dramarama, not including the various guest musicians they've had um, that have included Mick Taylor and Nikki Hopkins, who played with the Stones, and Clem Burke from uh, Blondie. They've had a lot of different people come in and play on their records. Uh, Sylvain Sylvain from Johnny Thunder's band, I believe. So in 1984, 1984 Rama released their first EP called Comedy. So they self-funded the release of this album uh, EP and this is an interesting story it didn't really get any play here in the United States but it did actually get them some publicity and some play over in France so when they actually went to release their full length album Cinema Verite it came out in France first on New Rose Records that got them played on K-Rock in LA by famous disc jockey Rodney uh, Bingenheimer who mm-hmm. thought the band was french. So he was like, "Oh, this is a cool new french band." Turns out <laughs> they weren't. They're from Jersey.
0: That's the uh one of the oldest tricks in the book, isn't
1: it? Like, exactly. So they ended up then the 60s did that. They ended up then getting well Jimmy Jimmy Hendrix over yeah, yep. are up first, yeah. Um they ended up then signing and getting a a deal uh with a US label. So they started working on uh their next record and that would produce Stuck in Wonderama Land, but they actually produced enough material for three records, so they decided to release a foreign-only record. It was under the name The Bent Backed Tulips, and it was called Looking Through, so it wasn't under the name Drama Rama. They also released uh, the album uh, Box Office Bomb, and... In 1980, that was in 1987. 89 was stuck in Wonderamaland. And then 1989 also was Bent Back Tulips looking through. So two years later, they signed to, not signed, but they were on Chameleon Records and they released the album Vinyl. And then their final Chameleon release was Hi-Fi Sci-Fi, the album that we're going to be reviewing. The band broke up for 12 years. Um, John Easdale continued performing and playing with various bands and it was thanks to the tv show i think it was short lived i don't think it was on for very long um called bands reunited jay do you remember that tv show
0: yeah yeah i do
1: so in january of 2004 they were featured on that show and they ended up getting back together to play a k-rock festival which was attended by almost 80,000 people and two years or a year after that they released the Studio album, Everything Dies, which is the last studio album that the band released. There's rumors of possibly a new Drumorama album, but as of yet, it's been nine years and nothing has been produced. So if you would like to suggest an album for us to review, please visit our request review page at digmeoutpodcast.com. We did get some Facebook feedback on this record. Um, Gavin Reed, the person who suggested this. Said, I found these guys through a live version of Anything Anything, then moved backwards through the catalog. Then this arrived. Sounds like a band that may have broken up but put out one last album as alt-rock was selling, but they couldn't decide if they were a loud band or a soft band. Still a cool album that I listen to often. Chip Midnight, friend of the show, says, Work for Food always reminds me of Fig Dish. By this point, Rama was an already established band. But this was my first exposure to them. wouldn't be wouldn't find out until years later that they were the band that wrote and recorded anything, anything, which I first heard when Janie Lane of Warrant covered it. saw the, saw, saw them on this tour at Bogart's in Cincinnati. I think Slim Dunlap opened, and it was a pathetically small crowd. Slim Dunlap, of course, of the Replacements, and then the band themselves, Drum Rama, uh, chimed in and said. Wow! Hey, with all the bands and all the records out there, thanks for noticing. As I might say, "Cheers, mates." So that's that. We don't often get a Facebook feedback from the actual folks that we're reviewing, so that's neat. Yeah.
0: Very cool. You know what's weird about that? Um, anything, anything song is the uh, the ver- Why why is it the version that I know? and Everybody knows that the live version doesn't seem like it's the live. That's the one I recognize.
1: I don't know uh, the video. I looked at the official video from like 1986 or whenever it was, or '85, and it was a studio version. Hmm. They yeah, did put out a greatest hits after this album that we're reviewing, and it, they might have included a live version on that. I don't know the track listing, so possibly came from there. Well, okay, all right. So let's talk about this ra- <laughs> awkward. Silence. It was kind of
0: rhetorical, but
1: oh, okay, gotcha. Was it Jay? Was it? Well-
0: Wait, who? Huh?
1: Jay, let's talk about this record. Let's do that. Let's talk about Dramarama, Hi-Fi Sci-Fi from 1993. You and I both familiar with the one single that's not from this record, not really familiar with the band overall. I'm going to throw it to you, Jay. Tell me uh, some positives that stood out for you on this record that you liked.
0: You can tell it's a maturing or a mature band. Um, mm-hmm. There's just something about I don't know if it's the vocal and just the overall performances. There's a savviness um, and a polish here that you can tell. At least to my ears, you know, sounds like a, a band that's been around a while, or at least guys who've played you know for quite a while. And I think that works really well with certain material here. And there's other material where it doesn't. When it works well, you know, I think something like "Word for Food." You know, it's upbeat, it has um, kind of a replacements or kind of goo-goo-dolls-ish early, you know, p- power pop with a little bit of punk attitude. Pretty hooky, you know, pretty melodic. Not a, not a huge, you know, chorus. The chorus isn't fantastic, but um, the verses are really strong. And, uh, you know, they just sound like a really strong, confident band. something like Shedless Heart right after that, um, they can take the tempo down and they sound, um, you know, really moody. It has a kind of a spooky kind of vibe to it. And the vocal um, range that the singer has can deliver that just as well. You know, I think those two modes for this band seem to, to really work well with, with their sound and who they are. But I, to me, it's, it's a fairly inconsistent record. Mm-hmm. You have moments like that, which I think work really well. Um, another one would be like, um, senseless fun when they go acoustic. I think it works really well. It's, uh, kind of, I guess harkens back a little bit, maybe to some, you know, seventies classic rock balladish kind of roots there. And I think they pull that off really well. I think it fits their you know, kind of a, a more seasoned experience kind of band approach. Um, approaches almost like a stonesy kind of slow song feel and i think that works really well there's a couple others that are in one of those three categories either up tempo mid tempo or slow that work almost as good or close to it but i think to me that stretch of the record is really where, where the um str- you know the strength of the band has shown
1: Well, I, I'm going to agree with you. I think it is an inconsistent record. I think the highs are really high. Yeah. Um, and I think that the maturity and the confidence really bolsters those songs that are the highest of the highs on this record. I think that I, the one thing that I, I appreciated a, a great deal was his uh, lyrics. Um, he's able to, you know, Anything Anything is a bit of a, it's got a bit of an like a smart ass kind of attitude to it. And that carries through to this. I think that's probably a, a key to John Eastdale's lyric writing is that there's a lot of, you know, tongue in cheek, but it's funny but not it's it's fun but not funny. He's not writing jokes, but he's he's very wordy and very um smart with his lyrics, but able to keep them fairly simple and on point. Mm. Um where there's there's a couple songs in the back half of the record which are about Drug use and about, I guess, stereotypical. I, they're an LA band at this point, so I'm guessing like stereotypical, like LA, scenester drug use and stuff. And then there is, uh, there seems to be a, a a number of songs in the first half of the record which are about basically being musicians and being in a band. Um, work for food is kind of. I get the sense that it's about, you know, a band struggling and struggling for their art and ended up homeless and they'll work for food and you know you got where's the manual and senseless fund all kind of reference in some way being musicians and and sort of working in this industry that grinds through bands and stuff and i, I like the fact that it's referencing these things but not doing it in such a way that you know is whiny or kind of off-putting to someone who's not in a band i think that they're it's pretty universal you can kind of interpret the lyrics how you want in terms of a lot of those songs uh, but that's what it felt to me when i was listening to them and you mentioned about work for food not having a huge hook i don't i didn't feel like a lot of the songs have necessarily a big hook which yeah. i kind of found a little disappointing because i was hoping that there would be more the music sounds like there should be big hooks yes. but the vocals don't necessarily ever get there they have good choruses but they're Mm -hmm. not sing along i guess i was hoping for more in that like power pop range which you mentioned but they're Mm -hmm. a bit more restrained than that i heard two bands that i heard a lot of in reference to this band when i was reading about them was their love of the stones which you know they have nicky hopkins piano player from play with the stones playing on this record and then they had mick taylor on you know a previous record obviously Stones guitarists are some of the best Stones records. Uh, And then the other one is uh, the New York Dolls. Mm. And you can kind of hear that in some of the raggedness of some of the more up-tempo songs Mm -hmm. on the record. But they don't have the killer chorus. There's no personality crisis. Or, uh, you know, even even when the times when they go and they get into this, like, dead flower sort of twang almost Mm. with some of the songs, they don't quite get that dead flowers hook that you're kind of looking for songs are like they're almost there you just want them to like push the pedal down a little bit harder to get the gas going and and hit that big chorus part it never quite gets there they kind of stay at like second gear or third (sighs) gear for most of the time yeah
0: like word for food like you said it's a well-written chorus it's a good chorus and it gets hookier the more you listen to it but Mm -hmm. on first listen It sets up an expectation that you're going to get, you know, kind of really blown out of the water with this, you know, awesome chorus. And it's just quite not quite there. And it's not to say that on repeated listen, you don't appreciate it in a different way. And it's still not a good song, but you just can't help but be a little let down at first by some of them.
1: What did you think of the production?
0: On like earbuds and smaller speakers, it sounded real thin and not great. Sounded very late '80s production-wise to me.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but when I used, uh, you know, better headphones and a better um, and used a, a headphone amp, it actually opened it up quite a bit, and it added a lot of mid-range bass that I didn't hear previously, and it sounded better. I think there's some songs where it works better than others. To me, the slower songs sound pretty solid. Production-wise, and the mid-tempo songs sound pretty good. I think some of the faster songs sound thin, particularly like a song like uh, maybe "Bad Seed," "Prayer." That could also just be you know the quality of those songs. To me, are not they're okay. They're just very average, and the production is very unremarkable um, on those. It don't it sounds like to me like "Prayer" almost sounds like "Circus of Power," like. And there's a couple songs on this record where this band goes into this like biker bar band sound that i just don't think it, it, just on them it just seems pedestrian it just seems like eh, okay like to really do that you got to have some serious attitude coming across on the record and the performances and they don't quite have enough of that so it just kind of sounds like unremarkable you know and i don't think the production in those cases really do anything to help them either
1: Yeah, I actually thought, and maybe I don't know, maybe I, I don't have the high-end speakers or headphones that you're talking about, but I just thought the production sounded for 1993 fairly solid. You know, it could have. This is a band out of the '80s, and this is a this is an album that could have easily gotten into that. You know, it could have gotten a little too reverby and just too much layering, and it could have, it could have gotten bad. And I felt mm-hmm. like on the songs, like you mentioned it actually sounds pretty solid if, if anything it's just not distinct um yeah it could it yeah. could be like kind of any band yep. playing those riffs there's not a distinct guitar tone um yep. and i think that partly partly that might be due to the fact that this is a band that didn't you know they like i mentioned they had a lot of people through the band so and if you listen to anything anything you know from almost eight or nine years earlier to this it sounds like a different band um it's just, it, you know, it's a different sty- style and different sound. And then one, you know, another band that came up a bunch of times was The Replacements. Yeah. Um, and in tracing, you know, the Replacements earlier stuff and then to their later stuff, kind of reminded me of this, the evolution, like anything, anything could have been a replacement song that Paul Westerberg did when, you know, they were doing Hootenanny Nanny or Tim or one of those more ragged albums. Whereas this record in, parts reminded me of those really late and the last Replacements albums like All Shook Down where it's very kind of middle of the road big label production that doesn't really like it sounds compressed for radio and it doesn't have the same bite and the same sort of raggedness that the earlier stuff did and I, I've, yeah. I've read a lot of reviews where people are talking about how you know the the band left at their peak but i don't feel like production wise this helps them out a lot it might have helped for radio at the time maybe this is the right compression and the right tones and everything for radio in 1993 and that's what they were shooting for yeah. if this was their last gasp they wanted to you know make them take that last shot but in terms of making like you know this quote unquote timeless album it, it i don't feel like it sounds as timeless as it could especially considering the influences that are going into it.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's what I was kind of going for. It doesn't the production isn't bad, it's just not complementary to the material. It just sounds generic and yeah. Sometimes the material's good enough that generics okay, and there's other times where the material isn't it's not bad material, it's just kind of not spectacular and and some records when you have material like that, like a song like Prayer you know, you can, you can make that into a really cool album track through how you produce it. You know, you give it some edge, you give it some grit, you make it a little looser. And because they don't, and none of the songs are really produced that way on this record. You know, you end up with an average song with average production. So right. you know, <laughs> you know, you're kind of, you're not really, uh, you're not elevating anything here with how it's produced. And I think you're right. I think it was uh, consciously mixed for radio. There's a couple songs on here where, like, the drums. Oh, I'm trying to find my notes here. There's one where a drum intro is. It might be prayer. Let me see here. It's just ridiculously loud, but there's you know some mixing things on here where you know oh it's bad seed. You start bad seed out, the drums are just like ridiculously loud for you know for what's going on and. The vocals, you know, loud and it's very, you know, bright and crisp sounding overall the record is. And that's why I said if you if you use some better gear, it opens up the low end and the mids, which have some a little bit more character to them. But you don't uh, the way it's mixed. If you don't have that, it just kind of comes off as, you know, just really sparkly kind of on not very interesting radio production from the early 90s, late 80s to me.
1: Yeah, and it's it's a bit disappointing because I think that Easdale has a good he's 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 got a good ear for melody and he's got a good sense of lyrics and he's got a good way to twist everything into an, a unique and interesting way. It's just that the a lot of the music behind him is not necessarily just not punchy enough. Like it just it's sort of just needed a kick in the balls. Here and there, especially on the rockers, like you mentioned, like some of the slower stuff is quite good in terms mm-hmm. of the how it's produced and and what the sounds are that they're playing with. Um, when it's more stripped down, it's just mm-hmm. some of the up tempo stuff sounds just kind of bland.
0: Well, like uh, I think a good comparison is the um, Buffalo Tom record we just reviewed. You know, mm-hmm. material wise, there's some similarities on some of this stuff in terms of you know mixing in acoustic doing a little bit of a power pop thing, having a slight uh, Bruce Springsteen, Americana, New Jersey kind of thing with the vocals sometimes. There's elements here that are, you know, in the same, you know, arena. Right. That album is produced incredibly, you know, incredible. And it adds so much to that, to that material. If that production would have been done here, I think we'd be talking about a different record with, with the same songs. You know, if they were just produced in that way. Um, I think this would be a lot more powerful, a lot more time timeless. I heard another band that came to mind was like the Smithereens, which had a similar yep. kind of production, real radio-friendly, real crisp.
1: But they wrote, I mean, that was a band that wrote very clear hooks. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Only a Memory or Girl Like You. Yep. Those are but very hooky songs.
0: Yep, and, and to me, like a song like Bad Seed is... I feel like that's a, an attempt to be to write a smithereens type song It's just it's missing that hook that they had in there so
1: even in anything anything the hook isn't until like the last third of the song yeah yeah Uh, the verse
0: is so strong though, and the 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 melodies the guitar melodies and everything are so strong it's okay and some in the most of this material like in that regard like we touched on earlier it can work in that way it just needs a little bit more help and you know sure a better chorus is always great you know but it doesn't mean a song a song can still be successful. It doesn't have you know, the huge big chorus. So I think there's potential in, in here for this material to be more successful than it is. I guess is the way to sum that up.
1: Well, then this did come out in 1993, which is I believe the year that like Pearl Jam's verses came out, and I think you're talking wow. about
0: that album's really raw sounding. That's kind of a weird perspective to think about.
1: Let me let me just double check because I don't want to you know speak out of my butt here. Um, but I'm pretty sure that. Huh I'm pretty sure that '93 is the year of Disco- or is the year of uh, versus. Yeah, October '93 is when versus came out. So that's what this was competing against.
0: Doesn't that? I mean, don't you think of versus as being it, pretty? you know stripped down no i
1: think they got stripped down in vitology i think versus Uh, is the versus is the bridge between 10 and vitology there's definitely some rawness on that record like with go and animal and and those types of songs but you still have like
0: there's a lot of reverb still
1: there's still some reverb and you got like glorified g and daughter and uh dissident which has a huge guitar lead part in that song and rearview mirror elderly woman those types of songs um but in terms of you know what was on the charts in 93 you know this this album's gonna get lost i think you know it's just it's not that that is the height of grungedom to yeah you know so I don't know how I don't know how this album was ever going to break through. Well, th- especially was, with this production.
0: Um, let me see here. There was a little bit of like um, I remember rock radio still having room for things that were like the Black Crows, even though they were getting grittier at this time, and there there was room for some stuff that had a little bit more. Cry of Love, I think, was big around this time. Maybe there were like little. Bits and pieces of things left over with a slight classic rock, you know, spin. They would be like one song out of the entire rotation. So maybe that's what they were shooting for. I don't know. But yeah, it certainly doesn't have the more uh, dominant move towards a really raw, you know, more basic production. I mean, there's also like an aspect of this band that felt a little bit psychedelic. Like there's Mm -hmm. an element of that to their approach or probably maybe more more apparent in their earlier material but even on this record there's there's moments of that where you can kind of see potentially there's some influence there so i think when you do that type of thing in a commercial way it comes off sounding potentially like this like you know what i mean like a lot of reverb and it ends up becoming like super sounding super produced instead of being slightly weird
1: well, let's talk about our overall ratings on this record. Were the album better EP or decent single? Jay, where are you at?
0: I'm at six songs. I like more of them than that. Really, it's it's the last three that I don't care for. I think there's a couple that like I said could be really saved by a different production. But, you know, looking at it from face value for what it is, you know, it's probably an EP for me. Six songs. Five to six.
1: I'm in the same ballpark. For me it's like four to five are really strong songs. And then you've got three or four songs that I can take or leave and a couple that I don't really care about. So I'm also at an EP. It's I think it's an interesting record and I agree with people that say that, you know, this is a band that's worth checking out. I would like to go back and revisit some of their earlier albums that I've never listened to. Since I was completely off on what they sounded like. And this seems like an interesting, you know, later record from them. I'd like to go back and hear what album uh what the album sounds like that anything anything came off of. See what that compare how that compares.
0: So to uh clarify my point about maybe what they were going for in ninety three, here are some of the bands that were the top twenty of that okay. year. So there's the obvious ones Pearl Jams, Nirvana's, Brad, Chili Peppers. Cry of Love had two songs in the top 20 for
1: the year. Really? Yes.
0: Brother Kane, you remember them? I
1: remember Brother Kane, yeah.
0: They were also very, like, 70s classic rock sounding. Soul Asylum
1: Mm -hmm. a
0: little bit of that to them. They had two songs. Lenny Kravitz, Are You Gonna Go My Way. Huge 70s classic Mm -hmm. rock sound. Def Leppard had had the number two song stand-up kick love into motion okay so there was acdc had a big song that year um so there was a mix of yeah you had your alternative bands in there but there was a mix of you know a little bit more polished classic stuff in there that i think that maybe they they were trying to maybe they're trying to bridge the gap but there was definitely a precedent out there but for what were the
1: really big songs. bands you're talking about like siamese dream was released that year he had huge singles off of siamese dream you had counting crows put out their first record and they had a bunch of rec you know uh nirvanas in utero came out that year i mean
0: uh i'm looking at sound exchange for the year like rock temple the dog Def leopard pearl jam spin doctor sting Winnie kravitz soul song stone temple pilots mm-hmm. acdc aerosmith this is the time of those Aerosmith ballads. Oh yeah, John Mellencamp, Blind Melon, so Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. A song called "Go." What is that? I have no idea. Yeah. Anyway, it was a uh, was an interesting year, and this, regardless of what they were going for, I material sometimes was calling for something else. <laughs> Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. Well, we need to thank. Gavin Reed, Uh, he leads off the 2015 season with a uh, request to review. And of course, we need to thank him. Thank everybody else who have made suggested reviews, both past, present, and future. We look forward to everything that's upcoming in terms of request to reviews. And if you'd like to make one, you can head on over to digmeoutpodcast.com and head up our request to review page and make your own request Next week, we will be off of our review schedule and be doing our first roundtable discussion, Jay. And uh, we'll see how that goes. It'll be an interesting uncharted territory for us to uh, not review an album or or base it around a review, an episode. So be interesting. And not an interview either. Uh, We'll have a special guest not giving it away. You'll have to find out when you tune in. And as always, if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback over at iTunes. That's it. First one's done, Jay.
0: Nice. Yep. Okay.
1: Only got uh, fifty-one more to go for the year, and we are uh, into the twenty-sixteen season. Oh, it seems so far away, but yet it's not. Thanks everybody for listening, and we'll be back next week with another episode dig me out
0: join the conversation about this episode at digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed as well as links to our request a review and merchandise pages